families, do you have children who have sensory needs? Maybe you have kiddos who have sensitivities to sound or taste. Uh, we are going to talk about sensory sensitivities today in another episode of Thriving Special Families. I'm your host, Crystal Sanford. I'm so happy to be here with my special guest, Amanda Lee. Hi, Amanda. Hello, everyone. So glad to have you here today. Thanks for being here. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure. We serve a lot of similar communities. Yeah, definitely. Always looking to bring more resources and share families. Exactly. Yeah, looking forward to a great episode. Parents, if you're engaging with us in the podcast, then welcome again to Thriving Special Families. This is your show for insight, humor, and hope along your parenting journey. If you're watching live, then welcome as well. Feel free to add your questions or comments to the comment section. We'll do our best to answer those along the way today. And then lastly, always know that the information that is shared is for your informational purposes only. If you're in need of medical or legal advice, please do contact a professional in that area. So let's dive in. Again, our topic today is sensory sensitivities, and we have Amanda Lee. Amanda is the center director at Brain Balance San Diego. Her background is in education, STEM, and wildlife conservation. Amanda's aim daily is to inspire and be inspired, coaching students and parents to actualize their full potential. As a lifetime learner, she uh, has uh, a sponge for knowledge and active in promoting equity and access to a quality education. Uh, Amanda's previous workshop topics have been on dyslexia, defiance, distance learning, executive functioning, early childhood development, and outdoor learning, and more. So I'm just really happy to hear uh, from Amanda as we dive into our topic of sensory sensitivities. Um, but as we get started, you know, Amanda, I love the value of story. I feel like everyone has a story to share. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your story and what led you to support kids in this way. Thank you for that invitation. I my background fully and truly in passion is in education. I think the more we know, the more we can really be a productive part of our community. And then in terms of parents joining us today, the more knowledge you acquire, as you mentioned earlier, just being a resource, right? That's first and foremost, my biggest goal is to be a resource to parents and to our community. Because again, the more you know, the more you can do to make good decisions, quality decisions for your family. And today with the sensory topic, it is a big topic because we all have some sensory needs and sensory challenges, especially the populations that we both serve. And a lot of parents just don't really know what is happening. So I'm glad that we are able to spread the news a little bit today and just give everyone a taste of what it means to have sensory sensitivities. Yeah, definitely. And you know what, just for the sake of us all being on the same page, kind of uh, help us have a working definition of sensory sensitivities. What does that mean? Sure. Generally speaking, it's when you have difficulty organizing or responding to the information around you using your senses. And I want to talk about what that means as well, because we tend to think of our five senses, our taste, our smell, um, hearing, right? Um, but there are other senses too that I want to talk about later on. But generally speaking, these uh, sensory processing disorder or sensory integration dysfunction is what it, when it is on a diagnose, uh, level, diagnosable level. 
Basically, again, you're not responding and able to process that information around you uh, appropriately. And the thing is, some people are oversensitive to their environment and the sensory inputs uh, or undersensitive and oftentimes both, uh, depending on what the, the sensitivity is or the uh, stimuli, sorry, is. Okay. Right. Uh, and so how would this kind of play out? You know, I, uh, I can just give an example in my own life. I, I am an advocate for families, of course, but then I also have a child uh, on the autism spectrum myself. And I've worked with kids as speech pathologists. So um, I've met a lot of kiddos who have some sensory differences, since some sensory needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think about my own daughter. It's, she's just felt so fascinating. Uh, we talked about in another episode recently that she has trouble with certain sounds. Yeah. And so for her, sensory sensitivity is going to play out just as an example in that sound area where certain types of sounds bother her, but yet yeah. she really appreciates music and she can listen to music really loud. So um, that's just an example. But how, how do you see sensory sensitivities playing out for kiddos? In so many ways. And speaking of your daughter, it potentially, you know, people don't realize different types of sounds mm-hmm. and different types of music stimulate different parts of the brain. So mm-hmm. as part of our brain balance program, we have a multi-sensory approach to really bring balance to all those different connections and disconnections that are causing oftentimes the root cause of a lot of these sensitivities. And so for a lot of our, our kiddos, when they come in for an assessment, um, some of the challenges that oftentimes are described are the sensitivity to the noises. That's one of the more stereotypical um, flags, if you will. But not everyone is sensitive to sound. But lights and you know blinking lights, especially with the holidays coming up, um, if everything's too bright, that tends to be a pretty typical um, challenge. That is the sensory avoidance or the hypersensitivity to the lights and the sounds and maybe the crowds. You talked about taste earlier when they're extremely picky eaters beyond the normal picky, just trying to figure out what they like. That is a hypersensitivity. Poor balance is something people don't think about. Poor balance tends to be a clue that they might be having a sensory challenge um, or fearful of climbing or swinging or playing on the playground when a typical kid would be willing to learn and test their limits, right? That's what childhood is all about. So those tend to be hypersensitive symptoms. However, for the kiddos who are um, hyposensitive and they're sensory seeking, we do see this quite a bit as well. So those who are not afraid of jumping off high um, areas, maybe they're climbing the bookcase. I hear that quite a bit. They're jumping all the time on the couch. Um, They're thrill seekers, right? If they're constantly moving, fidgeting, um, perhaps they're clumsy or uncoordinated. Maybe they're too rough. A lot of times we'll see rough play and they don't mean to be, but they don't have that body awareness that is so essential. And then again, you see both, right? Maybe you're hearing some of these symptoms and you're like, well, it's both. You're hearing a little bit of each area and that's okay too. That, That is pretty typical. And let me go back to a little bit of the senses that I was talking about and where some of this body awareness challenges is interoception. That's something a lot of people don't think about as a sense, but interoception is a lesser known sense. It helps you understand, feel what's going on in your body. So do you, if you have a hard time um, toilet training or potty training, right? A lot of times if you are past what's what you expect to be developmentally appropriate. Uh, I tend to ask a lot of other questions to see, is there more going on in the brain that is preventing that connection from your bladder and other senses in your body to help trigger you to wake up, right? Or to go in the moment during the day as well. So 
Again, interoception is uh, the sense of what's going on in your body, but also mm -hmm. there's proprioception or spatial awareness. And it's related back to your vestibular sense, your vestibular system, this internal system that helps you relate to the world around you. So mm -hmm. if all those typical five senses, the interoception and your proprioception is off in some way, and there's some kind of disconnection going on in your brain that's not allowing the communication to happen appropriately, that's when you might see some of the hypersensitivity or hyper hyposensitivity or both. Wow, that's great. It's a wonderful explanation. Uh, and parents, if you're just joining us, welcome again. Our topic today is sensory sensitivities. Um, and if you're joining us live, feel free to add your questions again to the comment section, and we'll do our best to answer those along the way. And then always know that our show is sponsored by Sanford Autism Consulting, offering you advocacy to help your child access the education they deserve. If you need IEP help or resources, check out SD autismhelp.com backslash resources. So again, Amanda, you know, this has been really great in helping us to understand maybe uh, not just some of the surface level, but maybe some of the deeper issues that our kiddos may be experiencing. Um, and there are parents out there who are saying, like you said, maybe what you've just said, it, it, that's my kiddo. You know, they have a little bit yeah. of this a little bit of that. Um, how are kids and families typically managing uh, their sensory needs? Great question. It really varies. Um, as I mentioned in the beginning, some families don't realize that they have a sensory processing mm -hmm. challenge. I just enrolled a kiddo who has um, a lot of different types of challenges, but one of the main things that I was able to uncover was this sensory sensitivity, um, and hyper and hyposensitivity. And this parent who's really done, it seems like it all for their little five-year-old, had no idea what I was talking about. And this was just on Friday. Yeah. And they were shocked. And I sent them some resources and they're like, yes, this sounds like my child. I'm like, yeah. So we know there's other things going on that we're addressing, but at the same time, these sensory sensitivities oftentimes go um, unchecked. Oftentimes there's frustration, right? Because you're wondering why this child is being difficult. I hear a lot that that happens quite a bit. They're just being picky eaters rather than there being more to the story. Uh, and so it is a shame. However, the families who do realize, okay, there's might be a little bit more, or they're trying to avoid some of those headaches and those fights, um, end up compensating. So a lot of times we're just putting the bandaid on what's going on. But you know, at the same time, those are important, right, to keep life moving on. So maybe your child is sensitive to different clothing, materials, the hem, so you get the type of clothing or shoes or socks that they like the most. And that it's in itself is oftentimes a challenge, right? I know a lot of parents who've spent a lot of money trying to figure it out for them. Or I had a, a student this summer who we trained, had multiple challenges, but sensory was one of the, her biggest challenges. And we had to train her to wear her uniform again, because having not had to wear it all through distance learning, wow. uh, she was not a fan of that that uniform. But over time, working her brain, again, all that, that multi-sensory approach, along with that physical training of wearing her uniform to do these exercises, okay. she was able to not scream to put that item on, right? <clears throat> so... That that's important. Um, sticking to a routine. Um, a lot of times, I'll see parents um, get headphones if they're sensitive to a lot of sounds. So I just saw that this weekend with you at the day of play. There was quite a few kiddos with headphones on, noise canceling headphones because it is loud. It is intimidating. Sometimes I'll see kids with glasses where you know again that sensory visual stimuli is too much. So um, sunglasses are helpful. 
So those are some of the the band-aids I typically see. And again, those are important, but more importantly, we want to get to the root of what's happening, the cause, rather than just trying to accommodate. That's so good. I think with so many things, uh, and I won't get too deep into this on my soapbox here, but uh, <laughs> looking at the root versus kind of addressing those symptoms, symptoms. on the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is really huge uh, for me. I really feel like that's really important if we're going to see any long-term change for in a lot of different areas. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But I th- one thing I wanted to just add to, I think that's so meaningful, the work that you guys were able to do with that family and helping that child wear a uniform where that can seem like a simple thing, but that's a big thing. It's a that's- big thing. Yeah. It, a- it, there's so many little breakthroughs that we do at Brain Balance from a child willing to raise their hand to answer a question, right, to wearing a uniform to school, to trying that strawberry or that blueberry. You don't know how many families I've had just ecstatic because they tried a little blueberry. And for, you know, the average family that, like you said, doesn't seem like a big deal, but for many others, it is a breakthrough. You know, I had a very picky eater last year, um, two, we had a, a preteen and a teenager, full teenager, who loves salmon suddenly, you know, from being such a picky eater to making their own salmon. And that's not a that's not a small job, right? <laughs> so, yeah, these breakthroughs are huge from making friends, right? Sensory sensitivities can really prevent kiddos from making friends because, A, if they're too sensitive to their surrounding, then they can't really be around others. And and other kids may see them as weird or wondering, why are they so anxious, right? Um, You'll see that. And they just can't quite connect, especially if you don't have proper body awareness. How do you expect them to empathize and connect to others if they can't really connect to themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So social um, components really can affect a child as well, along with all these other physical sensory challenges that they're experiencing minute by minute, right? Mm-hmm. So having our students suddenly have friends at school, having play dates, being invited to a birthday party for the first time, mm-hmm. or having a parent not have to attend a field trip with them for the first time to, mm-hmm. you know, to ensure that everything's okay. We've right. had so many of these breakthroughs in the last couple of years. And all of it is, again, trying to understand what's happening at the root cause and addressing it there, right? And as a team, right, this is not something you have to do alone. Mm-hmm. That's really great. I know parents who are out there, you may be thinking, wow, this kind of sounds like my kid, but I wouldn't even know where to begin. Um, so you, you've been kind of speaking to that. What are the challenges that might come up that would make a parent say, wow, this is a thing and we need to do something about it? How does could this play out? You know, especially like in school, you know, I advocate yeah. for families in their IEPs. And and so sometimes there are needs that are popping up that just are unmet needs. Um, so how could these sensory needs be impacting a parent, a, a child to a degree that a parent should probably pursue some support? Yeah, this is a question that oftentimes get asked quite a bit by my families who call and inquire, whether it's an issue with focus or sensory or social or academics even, right? Whatever they're inquiring about, my first question is uh, understanding, is it a pattern of concern, right? If it's just a one-time thing, if they're only sensitive sometimes and you don't see a pattern of behavior that's affecting their functioning, affecting their learning, affecting their social and family dynamics, then it it's something you can call and ask about, of course, and I can kind of give you some guidance and seeing what what more is going on. But when you do see it as a pattern that affects learning and everything else around them um, and, you know, led you to come to this uh 
podcast today, then what's important is helping really documenting, I would say, documenting what exactly you're seeing, how it's affecting your child. In general, that's really great anyways, when you're trying to get services for your child, right, as, as Sanford Autism uh, supports, uh, parents do. So document what's going on, record the patterns that you're seeing at school and at home and in the community, because generally speaking, it's not an isolated in, uh, instance, right? It's not an isolated environment. And if it is, that's good to know too, right? What exactly is triggering your child in these different environments? And then again, how is it affecting them? Once you're able to understand that full picture, then we can, as a team, help um, support them in the classroom or at home, right? And whatever services they may need and or accommodations they need. But again, in the end, we still need to get to the root issue. Yeah. So parents, if you are noticing some consistent patterns, you know, we've talked about uh, kiddos having some maybe uh, hypersensitivities or, or hyposensitivities to, you know, not just sound or taste or smell, but even like you said, proprioceptive could even be a space. So um, just some takeaways, parents, I'm wanting to help you guys gather these if you're seeing your child struggle in some of these areas, you're seeing some consistent patterns in these areas, uh, it may be a space for you to investigate further around your child's sensory sensitivities. Um, now, Amanda, I always like to have my parents leave with some practical tips. Some, you know, I want yes. them to be able to leave this show and know, okay, here's two things I can do right now, maybe while I'm waiting to talk to Amanda or while, while I'm doing my, you know, documentation. So, what are two things parents can do to help their kiddo who has some sensory sensitivities? I'm going to answer that question, but in a tricky way. <laughs> number one is learn more. That's always number one. The first thing you do is learn more. Again, the more you know, the more information you gather, the better the decisions you can make for your child. Right? So learn more. And then from there, um, set realistic expectations. Right. If your child consistently cannot look and smile at a camera, for instance, uh, I think about that because of holidays and uh, lately we've been having a lot. I've been noticing a lot of families saying smile, smile, smile at different events. Yeah. And your kiddo's not going to look and smile because there's, again, that, that proprioceptive disconnect. Right. Mm. Don't expect that. Don't get frustrated. Don't get frustrated because they don't want to wear that sock or that outfit that you chose for them yeah. uh, for picture day. For instance, I just had that happen recently. Yeah. A student came into our program and dad picked him up and said, what, what was the outfit we chose for you this morning? And he just looked at dad. And was like, yeah, he wasn't going to wear that. Like have realistic expectations, mm -hmm. but in the day to day to support those expectations and support your child plan ahead, right? Plan that schedule, have that routine, make mm -hmm. sure there is um, something that your child can expect, but also teach them the flexibility around that schedule. That's really important. But consistency is really key. And then I mentioned some of the little accommodations that I see other parents do. You know, again, have earplugs or headphones if you know you're going somewhere that's going to be overwhelming, right? Um, take a break areas are really important, whether you're hyper or hyposensitive. Mm -hmm. Having an area, a designated area that your child knows that they can go to or a code word or a code signal even, whatever mm -hmm. it may be that doesn't draw attention where they know they can go take a break. And you got to monitor that too, right? A lot of times parents are relying on the kiddos to self-advocate, but a lot of them don't know how to do that yet. Right. That's part of the executive functioning that we teach them. Absolutely. So monitor the situation. If you see your child heightening and heightening, then it's time to take a break. And Breaks in general are more effective 
when you take it before you need it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you have to take it when we need it. And then at that point, it's a little too late, right? Yeah. It takes a lot more time to recover, if you will, mm-hmm. from the fatigue or from being overwhelmed. Um, but definitely just plan ahead, have that routine, have those different accommodations and eat well. We know what we put in our body really affects so much. You know, our program promotes a low inflammation diet. So think about what your child is eating. Are they having, you know, healthy whole foods and fruits and vegetables in a balanced diet? Or are they eating a lot of treats and sugar? And sugar, especially, is a big trigger for a lot of kids. So maybe you want to look into their diet and then sleep. A lot of kiddos with these uh, neurodevelopmental challenges, they tend to need more sleep than their average peer already. So make sure you have a quality sleep schedule. Set a go to bed alarm as well as a wake up alarm, right? Have that routine set and be rested and limit the screen time, right? Think about all the stimuli that's around them. those are some major things you can do right off the bat, right? Move your body, limit screen time, have a good sleep schedule, eat well, and have structure and routine. Those basic parameters will help any child do better in, in any situation. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, these just sound like great principles for yes. every family, you know, yep. um, in addition to those who have some sensory needs. Um, so if we have a parent who is, they're listening, they're saying, yeah, this this is really resonating. Um, you know, we want to reach out. We want to know what you guys are, are doing there to support families that way. Let us know a little bit about or help us understand, walk through that process that you guys go through to help kids. Sure. So at Brain Balance, we have two centers, by the way. We have our uh, main center in Carmel Mountain Ranch, right off the 15 and 56. And we also have a satellite center in Chula Vista, right in the heart of uh, Chula Vista Village on F and 3rd. And so if you are just wanting to learn more, give us a call or email us. either number, it, we're all the same uh, organization, same um, company. So we'll get back to you. Um, but you can email us at San Diego at brainbalancecenters.com. And uh, one of our team members will kind of ask you a series of questions, really understand the whole picture. And part of what's so different about us is the fact that we do support the whole child. We don't just want to know why you're calling. I'm going to ask you a lot of other questions like milestones in school and social and home, because I want to understand what exactly is happening, how it's impacting your family and what your goals are to first understand, are they the right fit for our um, program, right? It needs to be a good fit both ways, but first, are we truly the first step? And for a lot of families, the answer is yes. A lot of other programs uh, and interventions, again, tend to focus on the symptoms and they're the band-aids or they're just hyper-focused in specific specialties. But remember, the brain doesn't work that way. The brain needs all the different connections across the regions for us to function in everyday life uh, in the most um, productive way. It doesn't mean that we're perfect people when everything's connecting appropriately. It just means we're not struggling. So for the most part, we should be the first stop that parents um, reach out to to figure out what is happening on a developmental uh, whole. And um, when you come in for our assessment, it's typically about an hour and a half to two hours very hands-on, very fun. Um, We're looking at areas like primitive reflexes, sensory motor skills, visual auditory processing, uh, body awareness, right? We're looking at the whole child, giving you those answers so 
that you can make the best decisions after that. And if they are in our program, then we or if you choose to be in our program, then we can talk more about what that looks like. But generally speaking, they're coming to our center three times a week for an hour. And there's some home exercises. There's a nutrition component. But very first step is give us a call and get that assessment learn more and then take it from there. And I do a lot of meetings with other uh, specialists and school meetings as well. And together, again, it takes a team. Together, we support that child from the bottom up rather than just figure out accommodations all the time. This is so great. You know, parents are, no worries. Uh, If you're having questions about your kiddo, if you're seeing maybe some of the same struggles and they're not making progress, it could yes, be exactly you know that root cause has never been addressed. Exactly. We we see parents who've been through other programs for years even and it's such slow or no progress. And that's another clue too, right? Like you said, they're just it's not progressing exactly as you're expecting. The professionals aren't seeing what they're expecting either. So we know there's more going on. Yeah, definitely. And I like one other thing that you said, too, is that, you know, basically that kiddos aren't um, they're not trying to be naughty, per se. It's not that they're acting out. You know, I teach an IEP uh, class to parents each month. And this is one of the things I share when we talk about the topic of behavior, Um, you know, and that behaviors have a function. They're there for a reason. It's not that the kid is trying to get on your nerves as much as it can feel that way. Um, They are engaging in whatever that behavior is that's happening for a reason. Let's find out what that is. Exactly. And then we can, you know, really see some, some global progress and, you know, see some change. Yeah, we we say the same thing, getting down to the root of it again. Why are they acting out? Why are they frustrated? Why are they screaming? Why are they having a meltdown? Why are these meltdowns lasting the entire day or whatever it may be, right? There's so much more to the story once we start digging a little bit deeper, but so many others don't or can't um, like we do. So definitely reach out if you want to learn a little bit more. BrainBalanceSanDiego.com or BrainBalanceChulaVista.com. Awesome. Parents, you know, if you are looking for some answers for your kiddo, this really may be a good place for you to start. And I really do recommend you guys uh, uh, reach out to Amanda and just just as a consultation and see if this could be a resource for your family. Um, So, again, our topic today has been sensory sensitivities. What does that look like for a child? Uh, When is it a time to maybe investigate some supports in that area? If you're seeing consistent issues or if you're not seeing progress despite other remedies, then maybe it is time to to look deeper in the area of sensory needs. So um, it's just been a pleasure having you here today, Amanda. Thank you again. You're welcome. Yeah. And parents, if you are in need of some support, you want to reach out to Amanda. Don't forget, they're at San Diego at BrainBalanceCenters.com. And if you are in need of IEP help in any way, reach out to us at SDAutismHelp.com backslash resources. So parents, always remember that you're going to be okay and your child is going to be okay too. Bye-bye. Bye.